Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. Luke chapter 21, verse 34. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Be on guard. Be on guard. That's the opening words of Luke 21, 34. It's our Lord's command to us this morning as we hear it, be on guard. And it's a very fitting sort of summary of the spirit in which Advent should be inhabited. Be on guard. Um, Being on guard is a metaphor, um, the referent of which is sort of lost to society now, right? We don't have walls around our city and, guard, and people keeping watch as guards. So we might miss a little bit of sort of the, the weight of what this means to be on guard, but that's the picture, the way you would guard a treasured city. Um, for men who are on guard, there is vigilance in two directions, right? You're simultaneously um, watching out for enemies. That's sort of the biggest thing, watch out for enemies. But you're also on guard looking for friends, right? If some uh, ambassador from a friendly state or city came, you would welcome them, right? Guarding is simultaneously looking for what to avoid, but also expectantly looking for what to welcome. And those are the two things we are to be on guard for as Christians. And I want to deal with with both of them this morning. Um, With regards to threats, enemies, we actually don't need to be told to be on guard for something that is visibly against us, right? Like, no one needs to tell you if you... um, I used to live in Chicago. When you go to a really bad neighborhood in Chicago, no one has to say, don't forget to lock your car. You know instinctively, lock your car, right? Um, You only have to be told to be on guard when the enemy is not expected, right? When you drive into, say, a really nice-looking neighborhood, it might be a surprise, but if someone told you, be on guard, you know, lock your car, you would heed that. You say, okay, well, this guy must know something that I don't. You only need the warning when the enemy is going to be unexpected. And I, that's really what we have here. Jesus names three things concretely that weigh down our hearts. And I love the, the poetic picture that's in that phrase of a heart weighed down, Right? You know, Paul uses that phrase in Ephesians chapter 2 about the eyes of the heart. They're connected here. That the heart, if it's weighed down by these things, it's unable to sort of look up to heaven and receive the vision of God. Right? That's a heart weighed down. And the three things that are listed are dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. And I think each of these sort of is successively sort of more and more slippery and sneaky as an enemy. Like I think dissipation, other translations will sometimes translate this carousing, right? I think what this has in view is sort of, think Mardi Gras parties, right? I mean, um, debauchery. That's something which most Christians, we would get like, oh yeah, I know I need to avoid that, right? We still apparently need the warning because there are far too many tourists who claim the name of Christ who still have some sort of intrigue about these big, gross, worldly parties. Um, So we still need the warning, but I think most of us here would be like, yeah, right, dissipation, carousing. I know as Christians that's bad for us and and we should avoid it. Still the warning is there. The second thing that's listed is drunkenness. 
I want to say two things about this. Um, I think every denomination has a particular sin that for whatever reason, the sort of character of the form of Christianity, that each denomination sort of kind of winks at and goes a little soft on. Um, it's not useful to think about that for other denominations. For us, as Anglicans, um, as former Episcopalians, I think one of the sins which we have historically sometimes been prone to sort of wink at and not take as seriously as we should is the sin of drunkenness. Um, I think one of the ways which I'm ashamed to admit there have been seasons in my life where I sort of try to weasel away from the Lord's clear teaching is by using other sneaky words that aren't the word drunkenness. Right? Like, oh, the word, words like tipsy or warm, you know, things where it's like, are uh, things we actually can try and sneak in, the sin of drunkenness, without having to admit it. And I think, in, as I've sort of read in um, church tradition, you know, where did the church draw the line? Because clearly the Bible celebrates festivity, and you know, wine is a part of the central meal of our gathering. Um, ancient Christians understood the threshold between sort of godly enjoyment and drunkenness, for what it's worth, as two small drinks, just to be real concrete. They said that's permissible. Well, there's one story where um, this bishop says it's, a e it's the Easter feast and someone hands him a third glass of wine and he says, is there no Satan anymore? Right? Like, like if there was no temptation, if I wasn't, wouldn't be prone to do something foolish, um, that m might be permissible, but it's not. Um, so drunkenness. But what I want to say too, so I want to say two things. One, I think in this way, um, our Baptist brothers and sisters can sometimes put Anglicans to shame for their uprightness of life in this regard. But I also want to say that um, drunkenness isn't just about alcohol. Um, it's because of the commands against drunkenness that we are called as Christians to avoid all forms of anything which would intoxicate, which would corrupt sort of our, our orderly sensibilities, right? So drugs is one of those things. But I also think, you know, massive overeating of food and not only that, but it's very interesting. I think the Spirit of God is calling us all to himself, right? And I think sometimes our culture reveals a guilty conscience in what words it picks. And how interesting that the word we've chosen for watching huge amounts of television is binging, right? I'm going to binge watch, people say. I think revealing that we recognize there's an element of drunkenness about this. Uh, and I think like actual alcoholic drunkenness, it should be avoided, right? Anything which would sort of just put us into this sort of fog of unreality should be avoided as Christians. It would weigh the heart down. Um, so yeah, that's why, so dissipation, drunkenness. Um, again, I think those of us who, who take our faith seriously would, would recognize that there's some danger in those two things that we need to be careful. The third thing in the list, I, I don't think hardly any of us would have sort of put on a list of things that could weigh the heart down so that the day of judgment would fall badly, and that is the worries of this life, right? This is Jesus teaching, again, what he taught in the parable um, of the seed sown on the different soil, right? The seed that, um, that grows up uh, and, and bears no fruit, it's in rocky soil, is, oh no, sorry, among thorns, is choked by the cares of this life. I think in a busy age, Again, we sort of mislabel things to try and get away with them. So much of, I think, what we might call care or concern or attention is actually the worries of this life. 
And I wouldn't have guessed that the worries of this life is something that would weigh our hearts down so that we would not be ready to meet Jesus on Judgment Day. But Jesus is saying, this is one of these things. And he's telling us, be on guard, because we might not have intuited that. We might not have thought that the cares of this life actually have a part to play in our either missing out on salvation or, or attaining it by being careful, by being on guard against the worries of this life. That is what the Lord is telling us. That if we um, don't want to be caught unprepared on Judgment Day, we need to be on guard against the worries of this life. Um, this brings us then at last to the, the second thing that a guard is on watch for, right? On guard against the enemies, but also on guard watching for the, the friends that might come. And in this case, it's the judgment of Christ. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who are Christians, there will always be an element of sort of uh, holy fear and dread about judgment day, but also excitement, a longing to see the Lord face to face, who now we only behold by faith. We should be looking out for him, awaiting his visible return. Um, in the gospel passage, did you hear that phrase, that day, in the gospel? Did that stick out? Um, that phrase, that day, when Jesus says, and that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. By that day, he's using, Jesus is referring to the day he comes back again. He's right now invisible in heaven, but he will come again visibly, and who knows how this is going to work with space, time, and physics, but the whole earth will see him at once. That's the biblical witness. Of that we can be certain because Jesus told us that he's going to come back. And when he ascended into heaven, what did the angels say to those looking on? He's going to come back again like this. We have it on the testimony of Jesus. That's enough. We have it confirmed by the angels. This is why we, we confess it creedally, right? Every Sunday, we pray the Nicene Creed and we say, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And just in case we missed it in the Gospels, in the Creed every Sunday, we have the season of Advent as a sort of perpetual reminder. Every year, Jesus is coming a second time. In case you forgot, he's coming back. He came once as a child, in humility, I love that collect that we pray today. He came first in humility, the second time he's coming in glory. The first time he came to offer salvation, the second time he comes to bring judgment. We know that that day is coming. Um, we don't know when. Jesus actually forbids us to sort of try and guess. But he does say that we'll see things ahead of time, right? Like the, the wars and rumors of wars, as it's recorded in Matthew in this passage, sort of this tumult in the natural earth and the sort of signs in the heavens, that those things will happen before he comes again, but they aren't sort of predictive harbingers the way people try and make them sometimes. Like, oh, well, now it's going to be this year. Right? We don't know the day or the hour. We just know things that will happen beforehand. The thing the scriptures stress over and over is not the exact date of Jesus' second coming, but how we are to be uh, carrying ourselves when it does come. And that's where we hear this phrase, be on guard. As it says at the end of this gospel this morning, verse 36, be alert at all times. Right? Jesus is teaching this to the apostles, and the apostles pass it on. What does St. Peter write in his letter? Be sober. Be watchful. Right? Peter is passing on the thing that Jesus told him. 
It says in the Gospel, if we're not on guard, when that day comes, we will be like an animal falling into a trap. That's what it says. If we are on guard, the sort of opposite of falling into it, being caught as in a trap, is standing up. The word stand is used twice in the Gospel. Right? When this day comes, it will either be like a trap, or may you, you, you might remain standing to greet the Lord, to be received into his loving presence. That's the goal. Not to fall as in a pit, but to remain standing, to stand before the Son of Man. Um, this biblical picture that Jesus uses of a trap kind of ties this whole thing together. So I want to end with this a word picture that if you take anything away from this sermon, uh, please try and take on this picture. So um, picture a mouse trap. Now, of course, I don't think mouse traps in the first century looked quite like they do now. Um, but a mouse tra- today's, you know, those old-fashioned ones with the sort of wind-up uh, catch, you know, that can fall down when it's tripped. Th- think of a mousetrap. Um, little aside, recently had a mice in my office, and thanks to Steve Deckage for catching them with a trap. <laughs> um, with these new ones that look more like a sort of clip, which I hadn't seen those before, but... Um, anyways, sorry. Okay. Um, so think of a mousetrap, and, 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 you know, there's like the bait of this sort of peanut butter or whatever sort of worldly thing that, that mice uh, are, are fall for, um, and ourselves in the position of the mouse. That as long as the mouse is looking up and can see that lever, that sort of that catch hovering, you know, that sort of awareness that at any time judgment could drop, that mouse isn't going to fall for the peanut butter, right? As long as he's looking up. But the moment the mouse ceases to be on guard, ceases to be alert at all times, starts to say, well, that peanut butter looks really good, and you know, I'm really worn out. I could kind of use some little bit of relax. You know, starts to kind of think about, in a worldly way, the way we'd be prone to, and forgets that hanging over it is this judgment. Um, the moment he does not heed the warning against dissipation, drunkenness, the worries of this life. Right? It will catch him as a surprise. Same thing for us. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Amen.